Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 116. You're deeply ambivalent. This week we're discussing series 8, episode 2 of Doctor Who, Into the Dalek, and season 2, episode 6 of Angel, Guys Will Be Guys. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So we begin this week with Doctor Who, uh, Mm -hmm. Into the Dalek. Uh, An interesting episode. Okay. Not um, (laughs) saying that that's a good thing. (laughs) <laughs> in this particular game. I, you know, I mean, so, okay, first of all, we have to um, discuss the the obvious connection that I made, anyway, uh, mm-hmm. of the Fantastic Voyage. Um, mm. Have you ever seen that uh, movie? You know, I don't know that I've ever... I feel like it's one of those movies that I may have seen it sort of by osmosis, but never actually sat down and really properly watched it. Like, I'm more aware of it. I've seen clips or pieces of it, but... Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't a piece of my childhood or anything. Um, yeah. But enough to get the reference, I think. Right, um, right. I mean, it's... So, it was, you know, a mid-1960s sci-fi film where they shrink mm-hmm. down people and they go inside. And I think it's more of, like, an exploratory. Like, I don't think it's, mm-hmm. like, a medical... Right. mission um but it's kind of like kind of like a Jules Verne-esque you know adventure exploration mm. story um the novelization of it was written by Isaac Asimov and I've read that um mm. but I've not actually seen the movie either so that I was okay I don't I don't have the visual frame of reference but I mm-hmm. do know the story because I've read that um and kind of just sort of a funny point of history that it was novelized by Isaiah Asimov, but the novel was actually published first. And given, you know, that he was such a famous writer, people mm-hmm. then believed that this, the movie was based on an original book that he wrote, but it wasn't, he actually had the screenplay from okay, so these the other movie, writers. So the, the, the movie, movie was come first. written okay. first. It just didn't, Oh, I see. it, it didn't, I see. uh, you know, it wasn't released in theaters until after the novel came out. So, right. Right. Um, kind of a, a funny but there's been other so there have been other like movies like inner space um yeah was like a 1980s which was a part of my childhood <laughs> yeah um and then apparently there have been some other um osmosis jones which i've never seen and there was a movie in 2002 called antibody which is kind of mm-hmm. a a similar idea um and and lots of other like tv mm-hmm. shows but one of the interesting things that i found i don't i wasn't sure if you were aware of is that um there actually was another episode of doctor who apparently with tom baker and as a fourth doctor right from the classic series uh, um, where they do sort of a similar doctor goes inside himself kind of thing or something mm-hmm. I, I this is based on the one line of like i haven't seen it or anything, but i just sure, sure. i just thought that was interesting when i was reading through the um you know, list of other, right. you know, references and, and things. And lots of them are in, like, you know, cartoons and stuff. But um, anyway, so thought that was a... Right, even, like, is it the Magic School Bus where they go and shrink down? And uh, yeah. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, uh, 
and and I mean, even thinking about it, you know, let's kill Hitler is kind of a similar. I, no, I was actually going to bring that up. Yeah, it was, well, and especially for me, the one part that really reminds me of it is like the antibodies yes. of like the things which come floating at them and try to kill them. Yeah, and, you know. Yep. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think obviously it, it you know as good or not as even the original movie may have been which of you know which was again being produced in the mid 60s so right about time doctor who was getting started and mm-hmm. whatever um you know kind of kind of makes sense given all of the like it's it's sort of one of those seminal things even though like it may not actually be that great of a storyline in the end <laughs> right right um so at least wanted to sort of acknowledge that like you know we know that they're sort of this is like in a way, it's almost another Doctor Who does a genre yeah, uh, yeah, kind of thing, even though typically in the genre, you know, Doctor Who does a genre thing, we don't always get, like, a classic villain as well. And this is kind of like a melding of, like, this is Doctor Who and the classic villain, but also Doctor Who does a genre kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway. Um, yeah, no, um... Uh, it, I think it definitely it's it's one of those ones you have to kind of read in light of you know movies and stories that have done that idea before, um, and and maybe the maybe the kind of fact that it has been done many times is one of the reasons there's kind of a lackluster quality sure. to the episode. Um, maybe not the only reason because I think. There are times where the show does a genre that it works um, a lot better. Um, Certainly. But, you know, it, it. I think there's an added layer of wanting to contribute a kind of fresh take on something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and even the doctor, fantastic idea for a movie, terrible idea for a proctologist. Well, also maybe not right. the best idea for an episode of Doctor Who. But, you know, sure. it's okay. We'll we'll get past it, because I do think there's plenty to talk about, um, even mm-hmm. if we sort of look beyond the, the situation of the Dalek and, and being, sort of taking a tour of it. Um, so let's do that. Let's look beyond that. Okay. <laughs> and talk about um, the, the even sort of broader situation. So... Um, here we are, again, Daleks, rampant killing of people. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, on one level, I know that's never really going to go away <laughs> when you have Doctor Who. On the on another level, it's like, how many times does the Doctor have to wipe out all the Daleks before the Daleks mm-hmm. are truly all wiped out? Um, I guess you can just sort of say, okay, this was a pocket of Daleks in a different time and place than all the others that he wiped out. So fair enough, I guess. Um, we don't, um, we don't, well, sorry, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. I, well, I was just going to say like the, the other aspect, like we don't really know is like really who are the people that they're fighting. Like they're just some sort of right. resistance group, just kind of a generic. Right. I feel like, um, for better or worse, I could see kind of 
this having some pros and some cons, but I feel like the further the new series goes on, um, it's gotten away from, I feel like for the first maybe like five-ish seasons, maybe six seasons or something, you had a very clear narrative of Dalek episodes. Like you can kind of look at them one to the other and like, I think because you're starting with the time war and they've been quote wiped out in theory, you're starting with this theory that there are no Daleks, then okay, well there's one Dalek. And then okay, well there's this squadron. And then mm. you know, and then they fall through time and then they escape over here and then suddenly they're creating more Daleks. Like you kind of have like a narrative where like each one builds on the last one. Sure. And then I feel like at a certain point it it that just sort of I, they throw up their hands and said, you know what, there's Daleks again and they're back and we don't have to keep track of, you know, where they are at any given time. Sure. Um, I mean, so on the one hand, I feel like that's kind of liberating because you don't have to necessarily, like, bend over backwards every time to, like, figure out which Daleks are these and how do they get here and justify all these things. But on the other hand, I agree that it kind of... I've lost a little bit the sense... By this point, I'm totally confused as to, like, how do these Daleks relate to the other Daleks we've seen? Any sense of continuation from, you know, are these ones, you know, brought back by... I mean, who knows? Like, yeah, I, I don't yeah. even know... I don't even have words to kind of put right. them in context. Is this the Manhattan Daleks? Or is this right. the, right. you know, or the Gallifreyan Daleks? Or the, or, yeah, right, right. Right. So, right. Or they're like, there's the new paradigm, big ones, who then had the little ones as servants. Are these related to those guys? Like, mm. I feel like at that point, Moffat just kind of said, you know what, screw it, there's Daleks. And... They're out there doing their thing. And we've seen them do that. Like, you know, even in uh, uh, Time of the Doctor, which we just saw, of, like, you know, the signals broadcasting from the planet and Daleks turn up. Like, where are those Daleks from? What century? How are they? Like, we just don't know. Um, And I think that kind of seems to be what, you know... Yeah, like, there's really no context for this war whatsoever like yeah this is some futuristic human resistance against some faction or other um which i don't know i mean it seems a little it's a little kind of aimless like it's sort of like i don't know where yeah like I'm not quite sure where I am in the story and in relation to these new characters. And well, everything. and that and that's part of I think my frustration with the overall episode because it's like okay, like clearly they wanted to have like the focal point be oh hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had a doll, you know, the doctor like go inside a Dalek and like travel around and whatever. But then like the actual what I see is like the more poignant points mm. are the doctors relating to like Journey Blue and mm-hmm. some of the stuff that we get with Clara and Danny Pink mm-hmm. and not really understanding, okay, like how did that all sort of 
work out, mm-hmm. you know, like what what is sort of the relationship there if there is one and the soldiering and this and that. But like the soldiering is the part that has the least like background story to it. So we don't right, really know right. where any of that, like we don't really get why are these people holed up in a former hospital ship hiding out from Daleks who are searching for them with a Dalek that supposedly, you know, turned good due to some malfunction. Like, right. like all of those are like the pieces that are interesting and I would mm-hmm. like to know about. And they're mm-hmm. the very pieces that we don't get anything about. So like, for me, that's part of the frustration. It's like they, they spent so much time sort of creating this false idea of the doctor sort of traveling through the interiors you know, circuitry of a Dalek or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it, that like it overshadows what is actually truly interesting about the episode. Um, so, yeah. yeah, no, I don't, I don't disagree with that. And actually, this might be, maybe, I don't know. I'll have to see if my opinion revises as we go through the season because this is a fairly recent thing. You know, mm. this, these only came out last year, so. I might feel differently, but this one was for me maybe the biggest disappointment of the season of kind of wanting, feeling like I wanted something a little bit more than, uh, than what we got. And same thing, like more development of some of these ideas, um, which I think it has some interesting ideas. It just doesn't take the time to yeah. develop them you know it's it, it well, is more it feels a little bit spectacle heavy of kind of you know climbing up things and falling down things and running from things and and, and i know. almost wonder if i mean not that i would want to extend the pain but i, <laughs> I almost wonder if both pieces of it would have been better as a two-part so like right in the first right. part you get like the doctor interacting with the soldiers and learning about who they are and what they are and why they're hiding from the Daleks and doing this and that. And then like, you could almost see like the, the, the cliffhanger being like, we have this Dalek and we're going to put you inside it. And then like the second episode is like all about the journey inside the Dalek and where they're focusing on the things like between the doctor and this, the sort of um, psychology of like the, 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 the doctor not knowing if he's a good man and thinking that the Dalek is a good Dalek and why that is. And this, and that. like, so you, you kind of have like, cause like, I think that is, some, there, there's some interesting stuff there that we mm-hmm. get, which we can only really get with that journey inside the Dalek. I mean, maybe not, maybe we could have gotten it without that journey, but like, like I think of the journey inside the Dalek, that, that whole like parallel between the doctor and his hatred and the Dalek's hatred and, you mm-hmm. know, what makes them good or bad or neither, you know, kind of that's interesting. But like, I feel like both of those aspects are given short shrift. So like almost, almost by splitting it out and making it longer, you could focus on two different Mm -hmm. pieces and then have, you know, maybe a fully more fully formed story. No, it is a really interesting thing to go through. And I mean, I'm not saying I always know, like, you know, what would work. I don't presume to know things better than Stephen Moffat would, you know. And also hindsight's twenty twenty, But sure. I, I do think it's an interesting thing to look at two-parters in the series and kind of say, 
you know, which ones shouldn't have been two-parters? You know, like, which ones could you have done a really nice, tight, one-part version of? Or which things had too many ideas and they should have been kind of, like, mm. you know, like, you can kind of look at in hindsight, there was a little too much here, and you could have, by expanding it, you could have fleshed out these ideas a bit more. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, um... I actually, while we're kind of on the theme of writing, I do want to mention one quick, like, behind-the-scenes thing, which is that um, two things about the writing. One is that this episode um, was actually co-written by Phil Ford and Stephen Moffat, um, which is interesting in a couple ways. One is that Phil Ford, this is his first episode since The Waters of Mars. Mm. So... um, you know, that might have been also part of my slight disappointment with this episode. I was hoping for another hmm. Waters of Mars, and it didn't quite live up to the standard. Um, but also that was co-written with Russell Davies, so that may have had a slight influence on that. Um, the the Moffat thing, I think, is really interesting, which is that this is um, one of a few scripts this season which he gets a co-credit on, which he has not done so far, um, through his entire run, um, like, you know, for the first entire seven seasons, um, he didn't claim credit on any scripts, and all of a sudden now in season eight, there's a couple that he does, so I know there's some, you know, it's totally speculative and cryptic about why is that the case, so, you know, um, I'm not sure, a couple things that have been suggested is that maybe he is taking a greater maybe it's a sign that he's taking a greater role in kind of rewriting things and supervising scripts, you know, and kind of putting his own, you know, ideas or stamp on them. Um, the other thing is that we do get a few of these repeated sort of recurring characters. Mm -hmm. Um, like we've seen Missy already. Um, we get introduced to Danny Pink this episode. Um, and Courtney, who's a student I want to talk about, she shows up again. So another suggestion is maybe he wrote the bits with those characters and he sort of has these other subplots that he wants to work into, you know. So maybe sure. he had maybe he had writers write scripts and then he sort of added particular scenes that needed to fit into the arc of the season or whatever. So right. I don't know. It could be either, it could be both, could be something else entirely, but yeah. um it's kind of interesting to me like why all of a sudden this would be the case. Um, it just sort of, uh, I think, makes it worth noting. Um, sure. And it's not all Phil Ford's fault. Like, this is not the only script this season that Moffat co-wrote. So um, it seems to be for some other purpose than just, oh, there was a problem script. Or sure, sure. Yeah, and that, I mean, that makes sense with showrunners. I mean, even we've seen, like, Joss Whedon, like, there will be times where there will be notes of like, right, oh, like you know, so story it, credit or yeah, or even you know. or even without credit, it might you know there might be a note that like oh, you know, so and so wrote the script, but but we didn't wrote like this scene or these scenes or the right. you know right. added this part with this particular character kind of thing, um, right. or which, or which, like as we get into Buffy like further along, like Marty Knox and might do you know be doing the same things, so yeah, right, which. Um, like was very it's very openly the case with Doctor Who like the showrunners do do um 
rewrites. Now, I think historically Davies was more uh, more active at that, whereas the the rumor mill is more that Moffat has historically been more of a hands-off type, you know, more so, I'm sure not purely, mm. but but that Davies was more inclined to do like a draft himself of someone else's script, whereas Moffat hadn't done that before, so this might be a little bit more. With Davies, when he co when he got co-credit, it was more like finally forcing him to take credit for work he'd already been doing anyway, you know, whereas this seems more of a departure for Moffat to actually, like, you know, do rewrites himself. But it's all... I don't think Moffat has ever explained why he's done that, so I'm not sure. Um, sure. Other than... Uh, statement from him it's all just speculation but um in any case yeah yeah um so i want it so in thinking about like the whole dalek war we don't know the background we don't know why we just know that daleks are chasing people um so let's talk about that so the people they're chasing well we get journey blue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and her brother yes uh, who is, do we ever see? We, I mean, we really don't get any. We don't get a shot. Sense of, I don't think so. No, it's more of a kind of. So my sense that Danny Pink is her brother is completely made up on my part. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, that's and... a really nice theory. Danny Pink is not her brother. Oh, okay. I'll confirm right. that now. Um, oh, okay. I wasn't sure if that was something you were actually going to say yay or nay on. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll nip that one in the bud. Okay. Just because I know it's not going to go anywhere. Um, but uh, At least this season. No. At least this season. At least from what <laughs> I have seen. Um, I, yeah, no, that, and that's we fine. We never, I, never know. I wasn't entirely sure. And even, like, the second time I was watching, like, I had to keep going back because I kept, like, do we actually get to see, like, his face? And I, I, I don't know if it's just because I have a really short attention span or whatever. Like, I could never, right. like, quite get to that point of, like, yes, we do or don't see his face. And so at least it occurred to me that the possibility was that somehow. Right, right. Just well, like. Well, and obviously they're linked by their names and well, they're, in this... they're positions as soldiers and and also the crying thing yeah because there's a strong theme between the soldiering and the crying as well Mm -hmm. and like there's an interesting thing with the doctor uh who um says to journey blue dry your eyes journey blue crying is for civilians is how we communicate with you lot but it's like well but she's crying, too. And mm-hmm. Danny Pink is crying. See, okay. So, sorry. Aside. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you've ever seen the show Hustle, a British show, uh-huh. about grifters, uh-huh. uh, uh, what's his name from Love and Monsters was in that show, remember? Yeah, and, Mark Warren. Yes, thank you, Mark Warren. And he plays a character called Danny Blue. So this Journey yeah. Blue and Danny Pink, like, <laughs> is really... Messing you up. ...confusing to me. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So, anyway, back to what I was talking about. Uh, yeah. When, when, you, when you look at 
when you look at that, like, there's these links between them, the soldiering, the crying, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And the fact that, like, you know, Doctor Who is sometimes about miracles and whatever. So anyway, so that's what I was... But, like... I'm, there still yeah. potentially could be some kind of link there between them. We just haven't yeah. discovered what that is yet. Um, but also, there's this like I understand that like the doctor has always been sort of anti-gun and anti-military mm-hmm. and yeah. um, all of that. But I also feel like in the in other times where we've seen it, it's been. Mm. It's been very much like, I don't like it, but I'll go along with it. So you get, like, Tenant, you know, mm-hmm. Tenth Doctor, like, working with Unit. And, mm-hmm. like, he's talking about the guns and sort of making wry comments about the guns. Right. But he's there with them, working with them, doing whatever. Right. Here, I get a very different sense from Twelfth Doctor. Yeah. Because it's it's, like... Not only does he dislike them, but he wants to have nothing to do with them, and he only is doing it because he pretty much feels forced to. Right. At this point. So, I don't quite know how Mm -hmm. to read that, um, other than just to point out that's that's the sense I get. Um, Yeah. I do think that there's a sense in which he's being a little unfair. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Because... Yes, these people are soldiers. And, I mean, we're also coming off 11th Doctor, who was all about, like, you know, uh, uh, when a good man goes to war kind of things. Mm-hmm. And and, right. and also we just had, like, n- you know, day and night and time and whatever of the Doctor, right. where it's all about war and the time war right. and going to war and the war Doctor. Right. And, and the war Doctor. <laughs> and, like, yeah. all these war themes that now yes. it's like... We have such a twist, and may, and maybe that makes sense because maybe it's like a sh- like maybe there's a shift in pendulum now. So like now it's right. like his attitude is way the other side, and maybe there's some guilt and stuff there, which I think we might talk about. You know, when we get to like the parallels between the sort of mental states of him and the Dalek, but mm-hmm. um, I do feel like there's a bit of a unfair judgment going on. Mm-hmm. You know, with the doctor, like dry your eyes. It, you know, crying is for civilians. It's almost like you don't have the right to cry because you're a soldier. Like, like, it's not like, it's not like a buck up and do your duty kind of like dry your eyes. It's a, right. You gave up the right to cry when you picked up a gun kind of thing. Right. Right. And may like on the one hand, okay. Like I don't like war either, but on the other hand, like this doesn't seem like, they're the affronters. Now, again, mm. knowing nothing about the history of this war, I suppose it's possible the <laughs> humans went and attacked the Daleks first. That could have happened. Knowing Probably what, not. Knowing <laughs> what we know about Daleks, though, yeah. the sense is, and the fact that they're hiding out in a hospital, which the Daleks, once they discover, are completely okay with attacking. Mm. And the fact yeah. that they've sort of been driven to, like, this hold no prisoners mentality Mm -hmm. it seems to me that the humans are in the defensive position and so from sort of my own personal philosophical standpoint are completely in the right 
and taking yeah. up guns to defend themselves. Right. The um, only defensible war is a war of defense. Right, that's right. The... Like, that's that's the thing. Is like, so, so I feel like by the Doctor sort of criticizing Journey Blue in this case, specifically, yeah. and, and all of the soldiers sort of generally, mm-hmm. you know, through her, that that there's a bit of unfairness going on here and yeah. that and that maybe he should reflect on his own past again <laughs> you right. know to like right. you know before he goes casting any stones so to speak um uh, yeah um i i totally agree like i think that's how i read it too is that there's a huge amount of hypocrisy in there and that that does seem to have something to do with this um, uh, introspective kind of episode of, of starting, we'll talk, uh, I don't quite want to get into the Doctor and the Dalek yet, but starting the episode with this, with this idea of, am I a good man or not? Um, you know, what makes a good man, what makes a good soldier or a good person or a good Dalek or whatever, that there is this sort of, he says, I don't know if I'm good either, and I think that I think there's a dollop of, you know, that kind of self-doubt and self-criticism in mm. his projection, I guess, against these soldiers. Um, yeah, and it, there are kind of, like, logical problems with his position, you know, about, you know, civilians don't, or where soldiers don't or shouldn't, cry well yeah but if you take away emotion then you're telling them they should be like daleks you know like that that connection and that emotion is what separates them from daleks which is what we're supposed to be fighting for right like there's kind of you know i think the doctor's position in this episode is confused um Mm. and i don't think I don't think in this case that that's the writing that's confused. I think that's the character of, of sure. wanting to, on the one hand, distance himself from all of these things that he's reacting against, mm-hmm. but but in the process, you know, throwing you know like making too much of a distinction without realizing you know. Um, the ways in which what he's saying might be um, unreasonable or hypocritical or, um, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and you're right, like not in line with what we've seen him do because, yeah, we saw kind of tenant work with soldiers and kind of snap at them and gripe at them, but work with them, you know, like, you know, and I think even less so with Matt Smith, you saw him at times kind of cheerfully working alongside soldiers when he had to, and sure. not even, not even, unless it was somebody who he had a particular issue with, not even really go out of his way to sort of be nasty about it, just, you know, right. sort of, um, you know, uh, taking that more in stride, I think. Um, you know, I mean, he made flirty remarks to River Song about oh, she's good with guns, I shouldn't like that, but I kind of do. And, you know, right, um, right. it's kind of, now we seem to, like you said, the pendulum has swung a different way. And I think it is a lot of that post, you know, I think maybe being 
reconfronted with the war doctor and mm. and having now just redeemed and finally rejected the actions of the war doctor you know in the time war maybe there is a kind of overcompensation of all soldiering all soldiers are to be you know expelled and shunned and you know um you know and he kind of says to journey like i think you're a nice person but you're a soldier and apparently i have a no soldier policy now right Um, right so um another thing i want to mention too is kind of in the connection with um with Danny and Journey and everything is there's a connection with Clara and the Doctor too, you know. And hmm. Clara is a nicer person, I think, than the Doctor, especially this Doctor. But she's she doesn't kind of come out and isn't kind of as overtly cantankerous as he is. But um, you know the the lines about I thought it was interesting what you said about when you pick up the gun you kind of give up the right to cry or to show remorse or feeling or emotion. There's a hint of that in even her joke to Danny about, you know, Yeah. Oh, you, you, you know, he says, well, there's more to being a soldier than shooting people. Oh, well you shoot people and you cry about it afterwards, you know? So there's a kind of ridicule of him there mm-hmm. and a, and a lack of acknowledgement of that he may feel emotional about you know as emotional about warfare as she would you know yeah she kind of is prioritizing again the feelings of civilians over the feelings of right the soldier you know where yeah and and especially with danny pink you get like i think more so than journey blue anyway you get Mm -hmm. the idea and it might just be situational because he's in a classroom and that's where we see him we don't see him like actually on the battlefield but you do get more of a sense of like the sort of classical greek idea of like the citizen soldier it's like Mm -hmm. you know i own a farm but go off to war when i need to kind of Mm -hmm. idea and and i guess that's even sort of like the early american ideal of like you know the the uh you know, agricultural soldier, you know, soldier, like, you know, again, I own a farm, but when I'm called up, I grab my musket and head off to join, you know, battle kind of thing. So I think more so with Danny Pink, you get that sense because again, because I think it, you see him in a more civilian setting, even though kind of at first you see him like with the children sort of playing soldier, um, Mm -hmm. or kind of like, a. I was, I was going to say kind of like an ROTC, but that's more of like a college age thing. I, I'm not even sure what this would be equivalent to, um, but right. like, you know, that sort of discipline. But at the same time with him, you get him also kind of joking too. like, mm-hmm. oh, you think you're funny? Well, I do too. <laughs> like, you know, right. like him, right. it, it, you know, so there is sort of a dichotomy there too, where he, you know, it's a little more nuanced of, yes, this is serious, but also like it's, there is an there is an opportunity there to have some emotion and personality with it. Like it, it doesn't always have to be like, you know, you're, we're getting you ready for war. And so you must always be 100%, you know, 
It Whatever. does seem to be more about for Dan. I mean, we don't know him that well, but it's hard to imagine Danny um, that of what we see of him being someone who's drilling the idea of you know violence and bloodshed into these kids' heads. Right. Like, like it does seem more like like a play acting, or you know, you, you know, or or more about the discipline, or you know, or right. even just a bit of fun, like you know kids learning how to sort of take commands and all that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, you know, Clara's kind of thing of, oh, you teach them how to shoot people, that doesn't seem to be at all what he's teaching them from what we can tell. Um, yeah. You know, it d- just doesn't really seem to uh, be relevant to what we see of him. So I think there's kind of a... Just we, as we see the soldiers as these kind of, you know, emotional people who, you know, we see Journey upset about her brother and we see Danny get upset just at the mention of killing, you know, civilians. Um, so then on the other side, you have the Doctor and Clara who, in their different ways, are sort of looking down on these people and judging them a bit. Mm. Um which I think kind yeah. of makes, you know, the ending kind of interesting when you get the Doctor's rejection of Journey, you know, and then yeah. you pop well, back in with Danny. <laughs> well, and that's that's why I was, that's actually what I was thinking of when I was thinking, like, you, it's a bit unfair of how the Doctor is sort of judging her. Um, yeah. Because you get that, you know, I think you're probably nice if only you hadn't been a soldier. And it's like, well, why does that change her niceness? Like, you know, especially since, in a way, if there is a theme to this episode, it's about going inside oneself and seeing what's truly underneath everything, you know, your exterior. Or even, even more than that, going inside somebody else. And trying to yeah. understand what they see and see from their point of view. So it's not even, like, part of it is this introspective, am I a good man or not? But part of it is literally going through the eye of a Dalek and trying to understand what it sees from inside its shell. Yeah. Like, it's a kind of, should be about empathy, <laughs> but we get this, like, failure of empathy. Well, from... and it's because that... What the doctor realizes the Dalek sees is not what the what the doctor wants to see in himself, right. and right. and it's it's that I I do like the sort of twist on that because the doctor there's act, actively a part where the doctor is like encouraging the Dalek to like yes look inside me and see what you see inside me right. and then the Dalek's like. I do see, and it's beautiful. And the doctor's like, yes, yes, it's beautiful. It's beautiful hatred. (laughs) We must kill the Daleks because it's so beautiful to hate the Daleks, you know, kind of thing. Like, that's the thing that the Dalek sees. And so so there definitely is this um, idea that, like, yeah, it's kind of like you can look, but once you look, you can't unsee you know that thing and what the doctor sees is not what he wanted to see or ever thought he would see Mm -hmm. from the doc and interesting because 
like again there's the there's a sort of external question of or the you know the introspective question of am i a good man and the answer he gets is yes you are a good man but it's from the perspective of Vidalik, with whom he completely right. right you know disagrees with from a right. visceral level from the worldview level yeah um, yeah and well and there's a there's an irony to his reaction because then it's like okay if 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 you want to you know if you're disgusted by your own hatred and intolerance and violence then his reaction should be be open to people invite journey blue on try to get to know her she wants to come you know she'd be a great companion like she seems like like all the things you said she seems like a really great person but his reaction is nope gotta keep away from all that stuff that's making me hateful and vile like i think there's again that reaction to the soldiering it's the soldier in me which i need to you know yeah. Which is hateful and which I need to get away with. So keep all that soldiering stuff over there, you know? Um, so in a way, it would probably be good for him to invite Journey on board, but that's exactly what he doesn't want is another soldier around. Mm. Um, and I think it sets up, you know, it sets up quite nicely this, now we have this connection that Clara's made this connection with a soldier and we have this no soldier policy. <laughs> so right. there's like, you know, there's that kind of ominous, well, I don't have a thing against soldiers, you know, somebody else might, but I certainly don't. Yeah. So, you know, there's a little tease kind of there of, of well, and what, I think what might be the relationship between those characters. And I think the other point that we sort of alluded to before is that, Danny is the tempered soldier and Clara is the tempered civilian in a way. Like tempered right, civilian sounds right. weird, but like um the the she's not quite as anti war as the doctor is. So right. like so like both of them are sort of like the the less extreme versions of the of Journey and the Doctor mm-hmm. sort of respectively. So there's more points at which maybe they could come to common ground um mm-hmm. as well it seems like and it seems like they are coming to common right. ground they, yeah they, there, there's also the physical attraction aspect that they seem to have as well that's part of it too but it seems like clara putting her foot in her mouth didn't completely it wasn't enough to sort of wreck you know their relationship you know there is yeah. enough common ground there that they can you know understand each other yeah um Um, but yes clearly there's also you know a romantic attraction as well so um so we have that setting up nicely for the season two um so i guess before we get away from talking about soldiers we should also mention Gretchen. Yes. Uh, who's one of the soldiers that goes along with the Doctor and team into mm-hmm. the Dalek. Um, gets killed. Yeah. Before which 
she makes the doctor promise to do something amazing and name it after her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she appears in heaven <laughs> yeah. with, with Missy. Uh-huh. Uh, so here, okay, so now we've gotten two characters mm-hmm. who have gone to this place. And, now, and so, like, before we sort of, I sort of conjectured, is is this like really was this really like the cyborg guy there right the half-faced dude mm-hmm. um did he really die or because he was a robot did he just like get collected and reassembled somewhere physical right. this seems like a legit death mm-hmm. so who knows what right. really happened i mean it seems on the other hand, right, like right, we, yeah, we, yeah, we're dealing with a, a human now, not a robot, so you can't you can't explain it away quite as easily as right, you could with that. Right. So I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, Journey Blue was sort of snatched away at the moment of death and brought to the TARDIS. So it's not like it's unprecedented that someone could be taken immediately mm-hmm. just before death either. Right, um, right. But it seems like she gets killed. You know, like, right. based on what we see, it seems like she dies and then wakes up in this place. So that sort of gives right. more credence to the, one, the robot guy actually being closer to human, like the doctor sort of says he is, mm-hmm. like, you're mostly human now. Right. And also, like, to the fact that, like, then, therefore, being human has a legitimate afterlife of mm-hmm. uh, some sort. So, um, right. With with English tea and you know, um, right and gardens and whatever. All the yeah, the all accoutrement, the, all the comforts, you know. So yes, and and with Missy there to greet you when you arrive. So yeah, um, and we don't really know anything more about Missy, other yeah. than that she's like some either some angel or angelic being or divinity or like. St. Peter-ish. Right. Or, so, like, right. So, like she's the greeter of, you right. know, whatever. Right. Like, we don't really know much ride. about her at this point, but just need to make sure that we mention that. Um, yeah. No, there are a couple... So, he, might as well mention them all. Like, a couple little, like, recurring things which go on. Like, Missy, obviously. We get the introduction of Danny Pink, who will come back. And I also wanted to mention... Um, the student uh, whose name is Courtney who uh, kind of makes the little remark about you know oh she wishes like you know about the secretary when she's flirting with oh Danny. right 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 um, and it's the same girl who said to Clara in her flashback you know well if you're going to expel us then do it you know that kind of right you know she's got this little punk attitude so um, and, that's the and second... whom Clara emulates yes it, exactly so um so that's this i just want to mention that that is the same girl and she's we are gonna see because we have these teacher characters now we're gonna come back to the school setting a couple times so sure. she'll be back um and i also want to mention too the way that um just as the 12th doctor is another kind of first doctor in a way we have a kind of repeated pattern from the beginning of the series because, you know, now we have Clara and Danny who are these, you know, teachers at this school with, um, you know, a featured sort of 
a teenage girl, which is the setup we got way back when the show started. You know, it was the doctor and his granddaughter who went to this high school, and it was her two teachers who kind of tagged along, and that was the first sort of hmm. um, TARDIS team, I guess. Okay. So, you know, if you're kind of thinking of, like, repeated patterns and archetypes, this is almost like a reset in a way, that we're back at the school with, you know, with a teenager and her teachers. So that's not to say anything about who Courtney is or how important she is or anything, but um, I think it's just a nice little bit of symmetry there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I get. I mean, we've sort of touched on like the idea of the doctor and his introspection. I want to, mm -hmm. I want one thing that struck me both times while I was watching this was this idea of what the doctor considers to be a good Dalek. Mm. And it's interesting because what the doctor seems to think of as a good Dalek is mm -hmm. a Dalek who wants to destroy other Daleks. Mm. And, and there's a, there's a question there for me because is that really any different than a normal Dalek? Right. It just wants to go out and destroy everyone. It's just that instead of destroying ev everyone who isn't a Dalek, it's destroying everyone who is a Dalek. And so, is there is there really is right. there really a shift? And and why does that make him good? Okay, it might make him good because Daleks are pure hatred and whatever. But is this Dalek not pure hatred still? Right. It's just the hatred is sort of aimed in a different direction. And and I find that interesting because I, I feel like, and I don't know if this is where Moffat was going or anything with this, but that, mm. with the just the general, I mean, there have always been sort of us and them attitudes in the world. I don't want to make it sound like we're necessarily more so today, but there is at least mm -hmm. a lot of rhetoric out there that would say, mm. you know, there's sort of a more of a us versus them, like from a, say, a Western, you know, mm -hmm. Christian or Christian-esque attitude versus sort of, you know, Middle Eastern Muslim or, right. you know, um, that kind of thing where you have this idea of, you know, like the war on terror and this kind of mm -hmm. thing being an us and them or even... Um, in the U.S. in particular, and actually, I mean, in other countries as well, uh, the mm -hmm. idea of immigration and there being an us versus them attitude. And so, mm -hmm. so it's almost like this idea of morality has nothing to do with actual, like, you know, sort of um, objective standards of good mm -hmm. and evil, but very much is a... a, a at least the doctor seems to feel this way in this episode, very much a subjective. If you're with me, then you're mm -hmm. good. If you're against me, you're evil. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I don't know. I find that a little disturbing yeah. from the doctor uh, having that attitude um, as at least it seems to me he has in this episode. I don't, and and of course, I mean, I think part of the, the revelation that the Dalek 
sees in him, you know, this beautiful hatred, as he calls it, uh, you know, like we said, could provide an, a moment of introspection and, like, mm-hmm. could potentially cause him to stop and, and think, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I should be more empathetic. But like you said, it doesn't. It doesn't actually do that. And so so even at the end, even once the doctor has sort of had this revelation that he is directed by, in a way, as much hatred as the Daleks are, Mm-hmm. We still get the conversation between him and Clara at the end of like, I don't know if you're a good man, but I think you try to be. And I'm, I don't know if that's quite right or if that's quite <laughs> the way that I see. He, the, he didn't try. He didn't try as hard as he. Yeah, maybe could you could have, have tried harder. Have. Yeah, maybe. Right. Maybe there is a little more you could have done. Um, right. And maybe there is a little more you could be doing to you know, sort of um, get beyond this this idea that it's an us versus them. And, mm-hmm. like, again, I realize, like, this is the Daleks, and they are, you know, according to everything we know, full of hatred. But we have also seen episodes in the past where the Daleks can see something a little bit different. Think of mm-hmm. the episode Dalek, where, right. you know, it's, it's morphed. Or even the crazy Manhattan, uh, you know, mutated Dalek person thing, um, that does sort of seem to develop different, uh, emotions and, and thoughts and whatever. Um, right. Or the one who fell through the time war and then, you know, very similarly to this one kind of saw the evil in his own people and wanted to sort of bring them down. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I think we've got a lot of precedent for, you know, there being at least glimmers of possibility, if not like, you know, not a ton of foothold, but at least some cracks in that exterior. And I think, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say that the doctor totally adopts a a totally blind if you're not on my side you're the bad guy attitude like I think he has I think you have to take the precedent of the history of the Daleks and what he yeah, knows I, of them into so and, and and just to clarify I, I do mean that specifically in this episode in relation in to episode. the Dal- Daleks yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't necessarily meaning that to because I mean honestly we haven't really seen this doctor with like that many other, other like right, races right. or creatures or monsters or whatever. So I, I would certainly right. not want to overextend that statement. Right, right. Well, but I do think that there's a problem there of once he's sort of decided that, you know, you are, you know, on the side, on, on the them side, you know, and not the me side, a lack of recognition that his own hatred of whoever they are is just as problematic as, you know, Mm. the hatred they have for us. Like, that's the, that's the the problem, I think, is, is not that, it's not that I don't think he ever loses sight, even in this episode of, you know, 
why the Daleks are or aren't the bad guys, but there's that kind of, it's not until the Dalek says, I looked inside you and I saw hatred, you know, and it was beautiful, mm-hmm. that it kind of occurs to him that, there, you know, again, is there really any difference, you know, like, right. and, and that's where I think it is very resonant with, like, what's going on now is, you know, this kind of self-righteous, justified, you know, anger or vengeance or hatred that, you know, um, you know, because we're the good guys, therefore our hatred of you isn't a problem, you know? Sure. Or because what you're doing is evil, therefore I have just cause to hate you. Yeah. Indiscriminately, you know? Except that when you define everything that you do is evil... <laughs> that becomes like it's just a circular reasoning. Right. Right. So yeah, no, I definitely I think um well, and then so then I want to bring up um there's this idea too um where this is echoing back to Dalek, the episode Dalek, where at the end the Dalek says to the doctor you would make a good Dalek. Yeah. Um, you know, after kind of venting all his anger at it. So here we have a progression to you are a good Dalek. So not you would make one, but you are like, so now the Dalek is saying, you know, I'm not a good Dalek. You're a good Dalek. Um, which is kind of a, just a nice little interesting echo there and a slight twist on the line. And I think too, there's a slight question in like what makes a good Dalek I think there's also a confusing bit of language there of what do we mean by good do we mean good as in moral or do we mean good as like functional mm. like like a good Dalek like you do is, a good job like you do a good job at being a Dalek like yeah. you are a functional you're not broken you're doing what you were designed to do that kind of like sure. in that sense Rusty when he's you know, broken, is a bad Dalek in that he's not doing what a Dalek should do, even though he might be morally superior. So there's, like, a bit of ambiguity about what makes you good. Is it, you know, doing what, you know, you are, I guess, supposed to do by whoever determines what you're supposed to do? Or is it, are we looking at sort of more universal standards of behavior and morality and everything. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it opens some interesting questions, at least, for the doctor. Um, and actually, I've been reading a book uh, this past week called um, Time and Relative Dissertations in Space, which is a bunch of essays about Doctor Who, but um, there's this one essay that I just wrote, or just read, did not write it, um, <laughs> by Fiona Moore and Alan Stevens um, called The Human Factor, Daleks, the Evil Human, and the Faustian Legend in Doctor Who. Hmm. And it doesn't get into the new series, but it goes through the classic series of the evolution of Dalek stories, and the kind of idea behind it is that they always represent human evil in some way or other, but that there's a progression, that they start out, you know, in the 60s as very much 
about like a it, they're always tempting human people so they're the kind of Mephistopheles of the you know Faustian legend of okay. I will tempt you with power or fame or wealth or whatever and sure. then you're tempted into evil and then a little bit later you start to get you know uh, corrupt humans who are sort of um, becoming more like Daleks themselves so you get like you know Davros who's sort of half Dalek and so he's kind of you know so now he's this representation of the evil in humans as a Dalek and it's just the idea that the further it goes on the less the more kind of closer it becomes to just being about human beings themselves rather than being tempted to evil it becomes more so about the evil in people um which I think is really interesting when you take it to the new series because that's pretty much the track the new series has continued to go down is the Doctor and the Daleks are compar compared to each other a lot. And, you know, whenever the Doctor or anybody does something sort of blindly hateful, the Daleks are sort of a representation of that, of that kind of us versus them exterminate, you know, mentality and 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 uh, admiring hatred and anger above compassion and understanding so um, it's just kind of an interesting it's nice to see that that's kind of been there all through the series and then it's sort of I think they're continuing to go down that road um, yeah. and then especially I think you kind of get a culmination of that with the doctor literally going inside it and them looking into each other and, um, you know. There's a lot of eyeballs in this episode. Like, I feel like it's all about seeing things from other people's perspectives. Like, they go sure. through its eye. Sure. And uh, yeah, he, there looks is. It, he looks it right in the eye in the end. And Clara's got eyeballs all over her shirt, which I think is really cool. So, <laughs> um, Better than bow ties, I guess, right? Better than bow ties, although she had bow ties on her no, sweater. No, I, I know, then, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, it's not neither better or worse. It was bow ties the, on the those, on the top and plaid on the bottom. So she's got all her doctors covered. But right. Um, anyway, uh, I just yeah. wanted to mention that because I thought it was a really interesting essay. So yeah, no, that is definitely, and. That might be, maybe there's an opportunity there then to see if that works and continues that into the new series mm -hmm. if it if it doesn't really look at the new, uh, new Who as much. But anyway. Yeah. Um, cool. So yeah, so like I, I mean, I think we started out at the beginning kind of even wondering if we were going to like talk for a full hour and lo and behold we did. I think we, e even given this poor sort of structure maybe and mm -hmm. and whatever the episode i i do think that there is some interesting stuff here and i and i think the most interesting is the stuff we sort of ended on with the doctor and introspection and sort of introspection but not much change in right. attitude right. um which is always sort of interesting um kind of Kind of, and, and I mean, it's certainly too early to describe the doctor as this, mm -hmm. so I hesitate to even say it, but I'm going to anyway. Um, mm -hmm. 
kind of anti-hero-ish, like, in mm, yeah. that way of coming to a realization, but it not really meaning anything. Um, mm. So, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, again, second episode with him, I'm, it's certainly too early to make, like, sort of that broad of a sweeping statement, but right. that would be, like, as of this, like, snapshot, that's sort of the picture that's emerging. It, Okay. It or could be emerging, I suppose. Like there's sort of a, a, a subjunctive there to play with. But um, yeah. anyway, so any any final thoughts for this episode? Uh, no, I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover. All right. Well, then let's move into Angel. And okay. before we before I let you go, I'm just gonna <laughs> jump in with a few. Uh, production notes not not a ton of stuff but um one we get this is another uh episode by jane esmondson and you can certainly see some of her humorous uh mm. moments in it especially i love sort of the um you know slapstick pratfall near pratfall stuff with wesley mm. um you know in yeah, the beginning when he when he walks in and then realizes he can't come in and has to throw himself yeah. back out the door and yeah. then walks in very calmly. Thank you. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of, that kind of goofball humor. Um, yeah. Or, or like when he sees himself in the mirror and like his completely, right. complete overreaction instead of like, yeah. instead of like just draw back and hope they don't notice and cover it when I have an opportunity. It's right. the, Oh, you know this must be covered now yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. um so so definitely love those sort of humorous touches she gives um yeah give that uh the other thing i just want to sort of bring up is so we get the introduction of bridget brenna as virginia bryce mm-hmm. um and i will note that virginia is a recurring character uh oh, okay. which which i mean i don't know that we necessarily would know that at the end but we do see that she and Wesley are kind of going to a party together and whatever. So I don't know that it's, like, a huge surprise to think that we might see her again. I won't Mm -hmm. say, like, how much or how often we'll see her. Um, But, you know, she won't be completely... Like, we will definitely see her again. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know why I... It didn't strike me that way. It seemed... uh, I don't know whether I thought about it one way or the other, but yeah. I wouldn't have necessarily guessed on seeing her again. So that's interesting. Um, and fair enough. Um, but I did want to just mention her because we will see her again um, and kind of bring up that. Uh, so Bridget Renaud, she's uh, generally character actor. She's been in, you know, like a bunch of stuff, CSI, you know, mm-hmm. um, just various shows that, you know, one, two episodes kind of thing. Um, but she actually, uh, had a rather long standing, a six season, um, uh, uh, role on the lifetime show army wives, uh, Hmm. which I may be shocking to you. I don't watch much lifetime, but, um, (laughs) I've never seen that, but she was one of the main, she was one of the eponymous wives of that show. Um, for six season and then came back as a recurring sort of guest star in the seventh season of that. Um, okay. One of the other shows that she appeared on um, just as a character, uh, you know, in one episode was uh, Leverage, uh, in which Christian Kane, um, who plays Lindsay uh, mm-hmm. in Angel, uh, was also 
uh, he was a star in that show, one of the main characters. And uh, most recently, interestingly enough, she appeared on Grimm, which is David Greenwalt's current show. Um, okay. And uh, only in one episode there, too, although that was a pretty recent one, so who knows? You know, I mean, she, she perhaps could reappear on that show. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, and she's been in, like, a bunch of, like, TV movies and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, at least went on to have unlike some of the other uh, sort of character people, she's at least gone mm-hmm. on to have at least one other show where she was, you know, a main character and, and do quite a bit. So right. um, just thought I'd mention that. Um, so okay. with the, as far as the story goes, where would you like to begin? So I want to begin with Wesley, although I think some of the interesting things about Wesley in this episode is kind of obviously his uh, uh, you know mimicry of Angel and Mm. so you get these kind of layers of you know what is Wesley really like versus what's Angel really like and then what is Wesley like trying to be like Angel right how does he perceive how does he perceive and how so how so well two things there so how does he perceive Angel to be and how does Wesley's attempt to mimic that work or not you know like there's a lot of different you know layers there Um, but so I mean one thing that kind of jumped out to me was um, this idea you know Tish McGev says something in regards to Angel that it's it's all about the appearance, you know, mm. that, uh, you know, how he looks is sort of central to who he is, or at least who he wants to be, you know, how he wants to be seen by the world. So, um, I kind of like that the big, the really the only big physical thing that Wesley does when he sort of takes on this role of Angel is he comes out in the very long coat. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the kind of sweeping dark hero coat. Um, right. And it even becomes like a bit about the coat as the episode goes on. Like he's <laughs> kind of keeping track of it. And like, you know, he even sends Virginia back in to get it for him at one point. Um, mm-hmm. And then when Angel comes back, he kind of wants to get the coat back, but he can't because Wesley's right. wearing it. And there's even a sense that like, while Wesley has the coat on, he's in charge. You know, that there's something about the coat which conveys, yeah. like, this dark broodingness, which is his... <laughs> it's, like, central to his yeah. authority it, or something. It's kind of like, if you think of, like, Lord of the Flies, it's kind of like the conch shell. Like, right. like, right. like right. He, he's wearing... He can't wearing, speak while I've got the conch shell. He's wearing yeah. the coat. And so, like, even when Angel, like, tries to pipe up and, and like, all he does is agree with Wesley. <laughs> Like, right. you know, he's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess Gunn and I can go around the back. <laughs> like, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it, it's, it, wait, I say the plan. Good plan. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, and. Or, um, or when they, sorry, just one more. When they bust in and, and like, you know, Wesley, I forget exactly the phrasing of it, but he's, he's like, you know, let her go or whatever. And Angel's like, wait, don't, isn't that what I'm supposed to say? <laughs> like, don't I say right. that? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, I guess another thing which kind of interested me about this is I agree with you that I I love all the 
silly physical comedy that he does, like, you know, the, the falls and the drinking of the blood and, you know, <laughs> it's nummy. Isn't that nummy? Nummy. Um, so, but you still, I think, even with that, you still kind of get this contrast between the thing I always come back to with Wesley, which I think has been in the character before this, is this idea of when he's not thinking about things, he can be very smooth and very confident and very, like, coordinated. You know, we see him, like, in high-stress situations, you know, uh, being hitting the right mark, you know, with his dart or with his gun or a knife or whatever, mm -hmm. or, you know, or, you know, being very kind of cool under pressure when, like, faith was beating him to a pulp and all this stuff. Um, and so even though you get all these kind of, I mean, mostly when the comedy comes in is when he forgets that he's playing a part you know that he mm. is into his character he's concentrating and he forgets oh yeah i can't go through the door unless they invite me or or oh i have stood in front of the mirror or whatever um sure and then it's kind of like the 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 bumbling comes through a bit as he tries to cover for like the mistake he made but i think it's interesting that when he's actually just playing the part he does a pretty good job mm. i mean like, you see him kind of, again, cool under pressure, like when the guy, you know, when Benny is there threatening them with the gun. Although, you know, you get the jokes about, oh, you know, the gun won't kill me. Like, reminding <laughs> him, like, please don't shoot me because it's not yeah. going to kill me. Yeah. Um, so he tries a bit hard, but, like, he doesn't ever panic in any of these situations. Like, you don't get any of the kind of... When it's just Wesley on his own, he does silly things like pull the drawer out and throw it on the ground and fall over and, like, is this kind of mess. But when he's kind of being Angel, I think he does pretty well for himself, you know? And he says the right things to, to Bryce. Um, he does a good job of, you know... Uh, protecting Virginia, you know, like he's able to kind of uh, threaten the first guys away just with his reputation of who he is, and then later he actually is able to sort of fight those other guys off um, with like some pretty like nifty little ninja moves and everything. Um, so that's interesting to me. Part of it is like okay, is that the angel persona that when you adopt this angel, you know, mask, he's mm. able to sort of, uh, you know, be more confident and smooth than he normally would be. And that's kind of what Cordy, I think, says when she's like, oh, he's only been angel for a day and he's already getting some. Like, it's, yeah. not, really, it's not really about Wesley. It's about if people think you're angel, then... You know, sure. that's enough. Um, but part of it, I think, is is Wesley. That, like, again, like we've seen him in previous situations, when you put him in this kind of, you know, tense situation, he seems to kind of be able to handle himself. Um, 
even more so than like in his daily like regular life. Um, so I don't know if that any of that makes sense, but yeah, no, I think it does, and I think, I mean, I think just in general, I've I've been pretty clear about what I think about Wesley's arc. Mm-hmm. I think we've started to see the movement of that arc a bit like that, that we are. So, you know, going from the completely slapstick sort of Wesley when he first appeared on Buffy to the still pretty slapstick, but you know, at least like good hearted Wesley when he comes and we even get the you know reference back. Well, I was a rogue demon hunter, you know, like, you know, in, in this episode here, which I I love because it's like, you almost forgot about that whole aspect of him. Right. And then they bring it up again, you know? So, um, you you know, you do get that aspect of it. Like it, that is sort of still ridiculous web Wesley, but he's at least like not a hundred percent incompetent. Like he used to be. And then, like, now we're getting to see, like, like, actually, more so than not, like, like, the the mistakes, the, he still makes plenty of them, you know, he still does slip up and do sort of the slapstick or whatever. But it's, like, it's not necessarily the norm for him, like... Right. It's actually, it's actually funny because it is sort of still part of his character but it's it's becoming less and less part of his character like Mm -hmm. you 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 more are expecting him to sort of be competent and think about things properly and and accomplish things in a decent manner um so i i think that all does make sense that and i and i do think that there's like i don't think that like Buffy Wesley would even try to imitate Angel to save Cordy. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's an aspect of him having gotten outside of it. Talk about introspection. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like that there's an aspect of him, you know, looking outwards towards other people and being someone who is willing to put himself in harm's way not just for cordy which he does you know sort of at the beginning when the thugs come but also for virginia when you know he sort of steps up like when they're Mm -hmm. shopping and and bluffs his way into scaring them away or um when he confronts the the two would-be assassins or kidnappers or whatever that are at virginia's door and Mm -hmm. he's able to fight them off like right legitimately fight them off not not even just like scare them into thinking he's he's angel but actually punching them and kicking them away and that kind of thing so i i definitely think that i i do think part of it is you're right that part of it's sort of a mental thing for him like he he does sort of get into a character but i think it is a further growth of the um he's just he's just good in situations where he's sort of put to the test like he Mm -hmm. he passes metal so to speak you know that that he is able to um you know uh i can't i can't stop thinking in cliches you know like that that he's just able to to you know pass with flying colors or whatever however you want to sort of phrase that um well yeah like i think and that is what always it comes back to because 
he's better at fighting off the thugs than he is at filing in the first scene. <laughs> like, right. you know, you have him behind the desk just making a complete mess of everything, you know, but put him up against some, like, mafia guys and, like, he takes care of it and it's fine, you know? So mm. it's actually in that way, even though I think this is a funny episode and, you know, as you'd expect it to be with Jane Espenson and Wesley as kind of the main character. Um, in, a, in a way, it's less slapsticky and funny than I would have thought, at least with the obvious, like, jokes at Wesley's expense kind of humor. Mm-hmm. Like, there again, there are a couple of them when he forgets himself and makes a mistake, but it's not an episode about oh, how ridiculous Wesley is compared to Angel. Mm-hmm. Like, you could imagine that episode if they did it, like, earlier. Like, if they did it yeah. with the Wesley out of Buffy or from season one. You know, that the whole episode would be about his inadequacy, you know, <laughs> right. compared to what you expect Angel to be. But, like, it's actually not the way it goes at all. Like, mostly he kind of doesn't really seem to do any worse than like angel would do in the same situation Mm. Um, you know maybe he does things differently but it's not because he's you know making a a a mess of things right Um, right and from a you know jokes at someone's expense there's actually i think more i mean i haven't like counted or anything but like i i do i feel like there's more of that at angel's expense in this episode um you know, yeah. so so you know there is sort of a playful inversion going on there, but but I think you're right. Like that's, it's not just like, oh, we put Wesley in Angel's shoes and watch how he messes up. It's like we put Wesley in Angel's shoes and actually he does a pretty good job at it. Right. And right. and so you know, what does that say about Wesley and what does that say about their relationship going forward? Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, right, and you get, I don't think, like, I don't get any hint of, like, tension or resentment between the two of them, but you do get the bit in the beginning where, you know, the guy doesn't want to talk to him because he'd rather talk to Angel and, oh, you know, you shouldn't, you know, the secretary shouldn't be doing this. And so there is that kind of hint in there of, Wesley's skills not being fully appreciated that Mm. like he actually isn't just you know the secretary or the helper that he is a good contributor and is you know good at his job too you know it's not just Angel it's not always Angel doing all the heavy lifting that you know he has competent people working with him as well yeah well, and and so I think we've seen a number of those sorts of coming into their own, if if that's what we want to call it, you know, episodes from various characters now. And, and they're not all equal, necessarily, but we've seen right. that, um, you know, certainly with, like, Willow, and we saw it mm-hmm. with Xander, and mm-hmm. we saw it even a bit with Cordy, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of at the end of last season with you know, her struggle and sort of her determination, you know, to where she is now of, you know, really wanting to actually help people, not just, okay, I get these stupid visions and, like, it's a way to pay the bills kind of thing, but, like, a legit now 
I actually want to help people and use my power for good kind of thing. So right. um, definitely, definitely see that uh, sort of happening here. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, with Wesley. So, you know, I mean, I think, again, like, I, I think the interesting thing about that, though, too, is that, like, because they are all different characters, they all do sort of take different form. It's not like you get the cookie right. cutter for each one. Oh, okay, now this one has grown into their own. I mean, they're all sort of going at it at their own pace. But I think mm-hmm. this is a similar thing for Wesley where, you know, we get this chance to see him on his own and not only be on his own but thrive on his own and mm-hmm. actually issue, like, you know, Cordy's help, although he ends up getting kicked out anyway because they figure out who he is. Right. But, like, wanting right. to say... Right, he was prepared to like say... Like, saying, and, like, no, yeah. actually, I want to see this through because there's someone legitimately in need and I can help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, speaking of person in need, we should talk about Virginia a little bit. Um, yes. So, the... the uh, symbolic name, of course. Right. right. <laughs> uh, I mean... Right, her nice little ironically innocent name. Right. Um, and and interesting, once you find out, like, what the plot is of, like, her father going to sacrifice her, it's like, was that... A, like, was she bred to be sacrificed kind right, of thing? Right. Like, that's the sort of idea you get uh, right. in a way. You know, that that's why she has this name is because she's going to be the virgin that I will sacrifice when I turn 50. Um, right. Seems like, so, I mean, this is completely evil and degenerate of me to even suggest, but like, it seems like he would have had more daughters just to like, like odds right. being that like one of them would right. have made it to his 50th birthday as a virgin. Mm. Um, I, yeah. you know, I don't know. Just, just a thought there for any future evil magicians who want to sacrifice their virgin daughters. Make a backup. Yeah, like, a, a few of them. I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a rule about it has to be the only child. Maybe it's, so or it's the firstborn or, or, yeah, something. Something like that. Um, could be. Could be. Yeah. Well, yeah, she kind of foils his plan there. Um, well, and it's it's a classic, uh, I do... I do what I do, you know, to protect you, but by doing what I do, I'm actually, uh, you know, foiling my own plan right. for you kind of thing. Um, it, right. You know, the, right. the very guards that he put in place to protect her right. are the ones right. who... Right, it's all the chauffeur, so, like, you get the idea that it's all the people that he's hired to keep her isolated. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> and and um, I even dated Frank, and, like, Frank slinks and out. And Frank sort of wanders away, <laughs> like... I'm just going to go and yeah. Um, and I like Wesley's relief at realizing that it wasn't him, you know, like he's trying to explain, well, you know, young people, danger and all these things. And it's like, Oh, I haven't been a virgin for a long time. Oh, thank God. You know, Mm. like all of the, the, you know, explanations he was starting to try to come up with. He doesn't, you know, this one's not on him. Um, so, yeah. Um, very funny, too. And I think, like, I don't know that I'd go so far as to call this plot, like, a metaphor of the week, but I think there is a kind of applicability there of, like, you know, that kind of, that type of over 
protective parent, you know, who isolates their child and kind of puts them on this pedestal of mm. innocence and purity, um, which, you know, usually doesn't recognize, like, like with Virginia, that she is more grown up and worldly than they might like right. to imagine she is. Um, and, and kind of, uh, puts this sort of false image of like innocence on them that, you know, just isn't applicable as people grow up anymore. Um, but then also like the way that that kind of also victimizes them in a way that like, yeah. okay, you're, you're isolating them. You're putting them up in their tower to keep them safe. Right. But, you know, you might as well sacrifice them because they're never going to get to live any sort of life on their own. You know, so your protection is really not that. You know, it's just a different kind of victimization in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so it's this, like, insincere... and. And it's selfish, too. Like, I like that about her line about, like, well, you know, he, uh, Everyone. he has insurance for his car. You oh, know? yeah, yeah, um, You know, so you get the idea that the daughter's purity isn't so much for her sake, but more for the parents. Like, okay, sure. so he he wants it because he has this ritual to do, but, like, this idea of... I need you to be a certain way and it reflects a certain way on me, you know, if you are not that way. Um, sure. So, you know, I don't know that that's like a metaphor for anything in particular, but like, I feel like that's a parent child dynamic, which is very familiar. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's, I mean, the thing is, I speaking as a parent, I guess, like, I, I think the impetus for that comes mm -hmm. generally from a well-meaning place, but... Right, more so than this guy. Yeah, well, yeah, certainly more so. Like, I mean, I don't <laughs> think most parents are, like, actively to wanting to children. sacrifice their children. Although, you know, there have been historical accounts, I suppose, of that. Um sort of thing going on, so let's not be too hasty, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think just in general, I mean, there is that, like you said, on, on the one hand, the one, the idea that you're, you want to believe that your children are purer or more innocent or whatever than they may be, but when you think about it and you think about the things you heard and said or did or whatever when you were in middle school, high school, mm -hmm. younger, you know, whatever, um, that people learn pretty quick and children aren't stupid and children aren't as naive as we want to believe. And as oftentimes they help us have the illusion in believing, like, Virginia certainly didn't go to her father and tell her about all her relationships with the various guards that she right, had. Right. And so not that I'm saying that she's complicit in her own, you know, sort of 
imprisonment because certainly that's all on him. Mm-hmm. But there is also a sense where she's at least helping to maintain an illusion mm-hmm. of unreality um, about her, you know, maybe maybe had he known, you know, what, she's 24, I think she says in this episode, and apparently mm-hmm. loses her virginity at 16. So, mm-hmm. you know, eight years earlier, or, yeah, I did the math right on that, right? So, you know, right. had he known eight years earlier, maybe that would have been time to have another daughter, and, you know, right. <laughs> uh, she would have been younger. And Right, you uh, might have said, oh, really? Okay, oh, okay, then go get your own apartment. What do I care? Yeah, like, <laughs> okay, you're spoiled. I'll do whatever, like... Um, no, I mean, obviously that's a terrible idea because then that's just put someone else in that danger. But, you know, there is there is that aspect of like, again, like not that it justifies anything that he does to her or treat, you know, any way that he treats her. But it certainly, again, helps maintain that illusion. And so maybe just on both parts, if there was a little more openness and honesty, right. <laughs> uh, you know, there might have been a better relationship there. And I think that's the... Like, if you want to sort of... Because I I don't see this as a big metaphor of the weak one either, but if you do Mm want to sort of look at it in those terms, like, I do think there is... There is a a piece there to talk about. Like, yeah, there is an opportunity for just... Treat children like they're adults. Especially when they actually are adults. And, you know, you know, don't... Don't assume too much for them either. Like, don't... Don't assume that they'll be able able to keep a level of unrealistic, you know, moral standards that you weren't able to keep and, and that no one really is able to keep. So, you know, I don't know. I think I think we can sort of glean some of that. But um, but I would agree. Like, I don't I don't know that that's necessarily the strong um, sort of moral of the week, mm-hmm. you know, idea here. But but I do think there is something of that in the story. Um, right. Um, the other thing too with Virginia that I feel like we should mention is that there is, especially since apparently she will be recurring, is that there's this relationship with Wesley now. Um, Mm. and we got something, I think it was in the last episode about, you know, Wesley having, you know, the bleach had, yeah, yeah. So... I, I feel like that was like a little allusion to, okay, Wesley has this private life that we don't necessarily hmm. see all the time, you know? Um, but so here we kind of are getting more of that. Like, you know, it's maybe one of the first times we've seen Wesley connect with somebody who wasn't like Angel or Cordy, you know? Um, like on his own away from the group, establish a relationship of his own. Um so I feel like that's kind of as the character arc is starting to sort of get moving. Um, I feel like that's an important point. Um, and I mean, obviously she's upset and for good reason that he sort of did not, you know, tell her who he was. So there's not exactly a totally honest situation, but it seems like since they're going to the party, um, that they're okay. <laughs> so like, yeah. you know, he, I, he did, he did try to tell her he was sort of a little distracted. Right. Um, and 
you know, he did sort of come back and on her behalf to rescue her when you realized what was going on. So it seems mm. like, you know, and it's like, again, she wasn't completely honest with everybody either, you know, um, more so with her dad, but um, it it seems like the relationship is moving forward since they're going to the party together at the end. Yeah, I think Wesley's coming back to rescue her anyway is... Mm-hmm you know, sort of a, a tacit, like, okay, I forgive you <laughs> right, <laughs> on her right. part to say, you know, like, she's like, oh, okay, you came back and rescued me. Like, I realize now that you were only, that you were trying to protect me and hey, you actually did. And that the real liar was my father, not you. Um, right, right. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily have anything to add to anything beyond that um, with regard to their relationship. I mean, I, I've already said we'll see her again. It's not, uh, you know, unlikely to think that we'll see her in the context of Wesley's more private life, as you sort of put it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, I guess we should mention I, too. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, go sorry. Ahead. No, 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 no. Go, go ahead. ahead. You, you. Oh, I was just going to kind of finish up with, um, I guess, like, the situation that, um, you know, uh, this uh, goddess, Yeska, who turns out to not be a goddess. She's a demon. Um, Mm. And, you know, um, I'm not really sure what to say about her too much, but, um, you know, just a new demon. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't get too excited. I mean, we don't really see her ever again. Um, But it's just like one of the... I I do like that Angel kind of knows who she is, though. Like, oh, yes, I I know who she is. Like, she's no goddess. Well, it's one of these situations that, like, well, if only we could have shared this information, we would have saved so much time. Right, right. Um. Yeah. um, And the point I was going to make was much more mundane than that. Um, just that I love how Angel's very upset by being thought of as a eunuch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, but and and then that and that that's the reason that he was hired. Like it's not even yeah. re- like I mean, okay, yes, that he's strong and a creature of the night, but also that he's a eunuch and so can't sort of right. so deflower Virginia. With, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, even though obviously it's it's a effort in futility, as we learn. Um, right. So yeah, it's just kind of a funny. Right. Well, and that, okay, so to transition over to Angel, I think that brings up this idea of he actually, him being more a point of comedy than Wesley is in this episode. That, like, okay, yeah, Wesley falls falls down and, you know, makes the occasional mistake, but what's funny about Angel is his whole persona, you know, so we're kind of, like, stripping that away a little bit and poking fun at it. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff in this episode is, is like, even the serious stuff in this episode is funny with him. You know, like, mm. his his lines about, I'm not insane and I'm not angry. Well, maybe I'm a little angry, like, after he <laughs> kills the guy. and Like, there's right. this kind of, like sardonic humor to all well, of the angels stuff. Or, or the you're ambivalent well I am and I'm not you know <laughs> I am and I'm not yeah um, yeah and uh, even like so 
when he goes to talk to the host and he's trying to explain things and he kind of says, well, I'll sing if I have to. And he kind of keeps bringing it up. Like, I kind of have the impression that he's a little disappointed that he doesn't get to sing. <laughs> right. Um, like, he's kind of getting, he kind of likes it now. Like, yeah, he's a little, he's, yeah. And, and the host is kind of having to say, like, whoa, I don't know if I can take this. Like, just calm down. You don't have to sing today. I also love, like, how Gunn reacts. Just... First of all, to Caritas in in general, but then also, like that he's, like he's horrified enough that there's this like safe house for demons. But mm-hmm. then, like the thing he's most horrified about is angel singing. Like the right. prospect of angel singing is like way more disturbing than that. Like there are all these demons who he normally would be fighting against, hanging out in this you know karaoke bar. Right. Right. Yeah, like that line about the this the ass is weirder than you could possibly <laughs> yeah. imagine. Like, like you have no idea. Yes, um, what a way to put and, a party. And it is a little disappointing not to get angels singing. Like I've kind of I've also come to look forward to that a little bit and see what his choices are this week. Um, right. So. No more Wang Chung. No. No, and Mr. Manilow gets a break. Um, so. Uh, you know, and I mean, it continues like we get, so we get this stuff with him and Tishmagav, who we find out later is not who he says he is, and has this whole ulterior agenda. Yeah, you know yeah. that. So he's not really trying to help Angel understand himself or get in touch with his feelings or do anything like nice. Like it's really about getting him in touch with his demon so that he'll go evil, you know, because we're, we're kind of connecting him back to this ongoing Wolfram and Hart plot, you know, right. with, um, with yeah, targeting although, him. So. Although we should be careful because the, the guy's not from Wolfram and Hart. Right. He's, so, he's, so he, the, the Tishmagev or yeah. the guy that we think is Tishmagev yeah. is an employee of one of Magnus Bryce's rivals. Okay. Um, and I don't know... We, actually, there there's a moment where the rival is there in Bryce's... Um, right. You know, uh, right, house. Right, in the beginning. Yeah. In the beginning when, when um, Wesley first comes to mm-hmm. the house. And he kind of gives him a second look, like... Because he hears him say, oh, this is Angel. Because he's thinking, oh, Angel is my dude out in the middle of nowhere. So so that's why he's kind of like, wait a minute, then who's the guy at the house there? Because right, he's already right. seen him. So there is a... Okay, so... But I... Then I, I think I made the, the leap to Wolfram and Hart, but maybe there isn't a connection there. I no, think it's because their goals are similar. It, it sort of... Well, the, the, goal, the goal is to keep Angel away because... Mm-hmm. Um, the competitor, and I forget actually the competitor name. You know, Bryce's competitor. Right. Like, there's the multiple attempts, right? There's the attempt at the shopping place to kidnap right. her, and that's when the two guys are surprised. They're like, "Oh, you're Angel. We thought Angel was out of the picture," kind right. of thing. And right. then there's the other attempt. So, like, like his attempt is to just kidnap Bryce's daughter so that the sacrifice can't happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, until, like, you know, once Magnus turns 50, like, it's too late. So, like, right. he, you know, it, he won't sacrifice his daughter anymore. But, like, 
from the competitor's perspective, if the sacrifice goes through, then Magnus becomes more powerful more power, and, right? and, you know, puts him under. So that's, that's the only impetus is to, and that's why Tish Megev, or the guy we think of as Tish Megev, is like, once he's sort of found out and in the sun, that's why he's kind of like, well, what does it matter? But by nightfall, it'll be too late. Like, mm. all I need to do, like, you can't come out in the sun, so basically my job is done here. I don't really care. Which, okay. of course, is when he lets his guard down and Angel kills him and whatever. Right, right, right. right. Um, okay. So, yeah, I guess I was connecting him because I kind of got the idea that, and maybe I'm reading it wrong, but it seemed to me that he was trying to encourage him to embrace the, the vampire demon and go evil yeah. again. So one, um, one of the things... Sorry, go ahead. Did you have more? No, no, that's all. I mean, I have, I have evidence for this, but you probably... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Share your evidence, and then we'll talk about it. Well, so, like, this stuff... I mean, he tells him, like, just explicitly, like, when they're fighting, like, stop holding back, just, you know, embrace it and, you know... Sure. Go for it. Um, But even, like, the stuff about, um, like, getting over... The way to get over Darla is to go... Find, you know... A, a little blonde. A little yeah. blonde and, you know, completely destroy her. And then you'll be really... And so... Which... Which, which, is, which is, is funny on a couple different levels. Is but, the is the story of his relationship so you, with Buffy. Well, exactly. So, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kind of get that awkwardness because you're like, um, that's totally what happened. And, like, two, he's kind of saying it as if he doesn't know like as if this is good advice like oh you'll feel so much better after you do this but angels there going i know if i do this like i'll right. become angelus and completely like so i think those were the things that that sort of uh prompted me to be thinking of <laughs> is he trying to get him to go lose his soul any way he can think of yeah i okay so one of the things that I love about the way this guy plays Tishmegev mm -hmm. is um, that it is ambiguous, right? There mm -hmm. is there is a like you're not really sure. Like he arrives and it's like you know he's got this, this dude with a dish towel and he's like, "Hey, what's up?" <laughs> you right. know, and you're like, right. "This, this is, is totally swami. not yeah. the swami guy that you're expecting." And it, but then on the other hand, it's like. Okay, well, this is Joss Whedon show, so like, right? Of course, maybe, this is what the swami. Maybe would be this like, is yeah. what the swami is. Is he's not? He's precisely not what you would expect, and so, you know, because and like he's sitting there doing his like fly fishing stuff or whatever, you know, while he's like talking to. But then like, he pulls this like, kind of pop psychology stuff, like enough of it out that you're like, oh wait, actually, he's kind of right, like. Right. Yeah, I never thought about the fact that Angelus driving around in a convertible is kind of a death wish in LA right, where you right. have lots of sun and right. you know it's kind whatever. Of and masochistic, yeah. And that if Angel doesn't have anybody, he then anything he wears must actually be about appearance and 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 kind of focusing not just on Angel's idea of, you know, his own appearance and whatever, but also like the fact that like LA is known for its sort of shallow lifestyle and is all about appearances and you know plastic surgery and this and that so right. that so that they're like the more he kind of talks it's like actually a lot of this makes sense so like maybe he really is a swami and like right. i think 
the, the, the one thing that convinces me that he's not actively trying to get Angel to turn per se mm-hmm. is that he doesn't see, like, it seems to me that the Swami legitimately doesn't know about the curse. Mm. And so when he says all that stuff about, like, find a little blonde and, you know, get right. her to fall it in love with you. Ignorant. It's not until after that that Angel explains to him, because there's like the cutaway, right? There's a cutaway from that to, you know, they're sitting on the dock and he's telling him, oh, find a little blonde, blah, blah, blah. And then cuts away to um, Wesley and Virginia and they're blah, blah, blah. And Virginia's like, oh, but you have the curse. And then Angel's like, you know, then it's cut back to Angel, like explained, just explained what the curse is. And the dude's like, wait, so you can never like do whatever. blah." And Angel's like, well, it's not particularly sex blah 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 and so like that's why like i don't think he actually knows Mm -hmm. i think i think the i mean again you wouldn't expect the swami to say like go find some young blonde and you know right wrecker you know to make yourself happy and i think that's one of the aspects of him that makes you question his swaminess Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know uh but right also, like, other aspects of it, like, you know, embrace her and her demon. Like, I I don't see that as particularly strong evidence. I think that's him saying, like, like, I think that's him just trying to think of, like, what would a Swami say? And there also is, like, an aspect of, like, while Angel's lying on his back, he's like, you know, do you really think it doesn't control you? Because I think there's an aspect there, too, of, like, well, actually, for Angel, it kind of... Even though, like, he's not evil and, like, the demon is in forefront, mm-hmm. there is that fear of the demon that does kind of control him, right? It's what prevents him from experiencing love and happiness right. and all this. So, there, like, there's also that, like, sort of Zen master dualist, you know, idea mm-hmm. to what he's saying is, like, you know, let your inner demon out because it's already controlling you anyway kind of thing. So, right. Again, it's sort of, like, kitschy and poppy in a way, too. So you're not quite sure, is this, like, wisdom? Or is this just, like, something that this guy is, guy is just, like, saying off the cuff because he thinks, like, this is what a Swami would say? You don't really know. And I like the ambiguity of how he plays that. But I do think from a... Like, I don't I don't feel that it's, like... If he were from Wolfram and Hart, I feel like he would know about the curse. And so mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been as direct to suggest that as an option. You know what I mean? Like, right. I feel like it would right. have been like a more... that's a technique, it's a little bit obvious. Right. It would have been a more engineered, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sort of plan of attack. Uh, to You know, or, or roundabout way to get him to think about, you know, what he should do kind of thing. Um, you know, I don't... It's not... I mean, we know that Wolfram and Hart represent sort of all the cream of the crop when it comes to bad guys. So maybe there is a connection there. I just don't see it necessarily as directly as maybe you right. had had sort of right. thought. Yeah, it might and be. I think I kind of just at the time assumed that, like, if he didn't know, if he says he doesn't know about it, well, he's just being disingenuous. That he's, like, yeah. acting like and he doesn't know what's going on. But... But I think you're right, like, I mean, I don't, uh, I think probably I assumed that there was some sort of connection which they don't ever actually make in the episode. Yeah, um, and and I think, I think part of the ambiguity is that that certainly could be possible. I just, I, I think from my perspective, I look at it as, 
I don't see more direct evidence for it, so I choose right. not to believe it kind of thing. Well, and I think, like, probably I, I assume there was this connection because it's an idea that we keep coming back to in this yeah. season is, Certainly. is them trying to... People encouraging Angel to embrace his inner demon, whether those people are all Wolfram in heart, I guess they don't have to be, that that's still... Uh, you know, it's something idea. they certainly do. It's yeah. an idea which keeps coming back up. Um, yep. Yep. And, no, I agree. You know, and on the one hand, Angel is sort of admitting to his feelings of anger towards Starla and wanting to sort of punish her and everything. And on the other hand, he still, at least uh, consciously, is aware of the danger of that and is you know, hesitant to kind of embrace that too fully. Um, sure. You know, sure. even though he seemed to be sort of teetering on that line in the last episode, it seems like even though this Swami turned out to be phony, um, Angel does get a little bit of clarity. Because like you said, like a lot of things that the Swami says are true. He, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Even if they're just ways to stall for time, right? A lot of it is actually pretty useful insight, you know, into, you know, this sort of angel persona that you wear isn't exactly the same as what's going on underneath. Um, so, you know, yeah. and at least an angel doesn't take his advice about what to do about that, but that doesn't mean that that observation isn't true. Right. Um, right. It's just a matter of, is that a good thing or not? How do you handle it? Um, sure. And where do you go from there? So. Um, and, I mean, yeah, we talked about how when they come back together, his sort of um, slight, uh, being slightly disgruntled at Wesley sort of taking the lead. And, you know, he even kind of, chastises Cordy a little for being jealous, but that jealousy is there in Angel too, of kind of like, you know, oh, he's not bodyguard to the stars. There's no Wyndham Price agency. Like, he's a little pleased that there's a, there's an Angel investigations, but not a Wyndham Price investigation. Right, right, um, right. So, you know, having to kind of assert, like, since for the episode, his kind of Persona is stripped away and Wesley gets to adopt it. He kind of needs to, like, assert himself at the end of, yeah. you know, just remember who is Angel in this situation and who's in charge here. Yeah. Yep. Um, before we sort of leave Angel and, and maybe talk about the other characters, I do want, we talked about, you know, Angel going to the host. Um, and the host is the one who gives him Tishvigev's name. Right, right. So... Which I don't want to read as ominous I, because I, I like the host. I, I, but, I wanted to you ask know. you is do you read anything into that? Because I right. I don't I don't want to lead you one way or the other. Right, right. But I do I am curious um, to know what you think. I mean it didn't occur to me at all on the first watch. On the second it did sort of knowing that it turns out to be kind of a trap. Um, 
it did sort of occur to me that, oh, I guess there could be a way in that this is deliberate. Um, hmm. and I if, don't, I, I don't I, want I, to think it, and I don't think so yet. Like, I didn't get any... I didn't get any kind of weird vibes from the host, but you know, we don't know him that well. We don't really know anything about him. Um, and his whole nice guy thing could be totally insincere for all I know. So fair enough. Like I said, it's, it's a qualified no, but I'm open to, I, I don't want to lead you one way or the other. So I won't say anything. Um, I was just curious what your thoughts were, so interesting. So, but you 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 think no, but possibly. I think no, but it's possible. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Um. Any any thoughts on uh, Cordy and Gun this episode? They we we I we both kind of talked a little bit about. I think the. Um, they they kind of both get like knocked out or shunned to, right, to the side, right. but like they're not huge impact on. Right, you kind of even said like not only do they not have a lot to do, but whenever they try to do stuff, they get sort of incapacitated and shoved out of the way. Um, like, you know, Cordy turns up to rescue Wesley, and they're kind of there to ready to kick him out anyway, so it doesn't end up doing anything. Um, and, and same thing with Gun. And I love how even at the end, Cordy like is taking issue with the fact that Wesley is, you know, this detective to the stars or whatever, and and she's like, right. reflected glory. That's my thing. Like that, you know, like right. like she has a patent on, you know, hanging around with stars in the hopes that someone will notice her, yeah. kind yeah. of thing. And and at this point, Wesley's not attempting to do that. He just happens to be with someone who's famous and. Right. Or, or at least notable enough to get a picture in, right. a, magazine. in a magazine. Right, right, yeah. So you still get that that bit of, well, you and you get her kind of getting distracted from her after her very impassioned speech about saving Wesley. She gets a little bored of the monk shots and kind of pulls the magazine over to look at some celeb photos. So right. like, you still get those hints of like. The Cordy who is hungry for fame and, you know, um, which we've seen her kind of uh, lose the drive on the acting career a bit, like as she's gotten more involved sure. with um, with this job. But, yeah, that, that desire to kind of be glamorous and be, uh, you know, a notable person is still, uh, still there. Hmm. Um, I don't really have a lot for Gun. I mean, you mentioned that he gets to see Caritas and, you know, um, yeah, it's sort of brought into that whole inner circle. Um, you know, and I like the little bit where, uh, he goes, you know, Angel takes him on the, the job and, you know, because he needs backup <laughs> and Gun's the best person and Gun's just sort of cool to go along with it, but... He's completely under a misconception of to like what kind of job this is and how much of a plan that we have. Like, right? Angel's being completely reckless, and Gun just sort of assumes that he's got <laughs> it 
you know. Um, Some sort of a plan where, like, he doesn't even ask, apparently. It's like they're in the building on the way to whatever they're going to do. And, you know, it's cool. He's got a plan, but apparently there is no plan. Walking fast was your plan? Yeah. And, like, realizing, like, oh, my gosh, this was so much more dangerous than I I had any idea. So, um, you know, I guess him just getting more involved, I guess, you know, of right being, he, being consistently invited to back them up on all these different things. Right. He was sort of brought on as a, like a contractor, but they're making more use of that contract, so to speak. Right. Um, yeah. And fewer references to his own gang mm, too. Right. Um, he just kind of seems to be hanging out with the angel crew more regularly. Right. Right. For whatever reason, or, you know, not to say that he doesn't still hang out with his gang at all, but like you said, like, when we see him, it's pretty much just sort of implied he's with them mm-hmm. and working with them directly. And, right. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I don't have anything particularly for either of them other than sort of what you already mentioned, so I think we're good. So, okay, cool. um, we'll be back next week with, uh, enlightening episode of Buffy uh, mm-hmm. and uh, another episode of Doctor Who. Alright, see you then. Mm-hmm.